everyone, and welcome to Life Hacks for Working Moms, the podcast that helps you overcome the overwhelm, embrace the chaos, and cultivate a life you love. My name is Megan Strand. Thanks so much for being here. You are absolutely going to love this episode. Here's the backstory. A couple months ago, I discovered a book called Mindless Eating, Why We Eat More Than We Think, and I was absolutely captivated. Essentially, the book describes fascinating research about why we eat what we do, and then my favorite part provided some very practical tips for designing our environment to better support our eating choices. Now, thankfully, these designs did not rely on personal willpower, which we all know is highly ineffective but rather use our hardwired human behavior to accomplish these better eating habits. So today, I'm super thrilled to be joined by the author of this book, as well as a new book chock full of resources called Slim by Design. He's professor at and director of the Cornell University Food and Brand Lab. He's advised everyone from the White House to celebrities and foreign dignitaries, from the military to major consumer brands, and even... The Lunch Lady, who is far more influential than you think. His name is Dr. Brian Wansink. Dr. Wansink, welcome. It's great to be with you, Megan. Thank you. Hey, so when I first cracked into Mindless Eating, first of all, it was a fantastic book. Thank you so much for writing it. There were a couple of things that really jumped off the page at me. And the first one that I just I couldn't even believe was that we make over 200 food choices every day. And when I read that, I thought, nah. And then I kept reading. So can you explain how that's even possible? Not me. Yeah, well, most people, you ask them how many decisions they make about food every day. They say between 25 and 30, okay, you know, because they make the choice between whether they want Count Chocula or Fruit Loops in the morning, and that's one, and then they make a couple others. But in reality, what happens is it's not whether you get Count Chocula or, or Fruit Loops, but it's how much you pour, whether you finish it, whether you pour a second bowl, how much you eat, whether you how much milk you pour on it, whether you drink the milk up after the end. You make 25 to 30 decisions by the end of breakfast. And the reason this is so important that you make all these decisions that you're totally unaware of during the day is that that ends up being why we mindlessly overeat is because we're not really aware of all these decisions we are making. But the good news here is that the same factors that cause us to un consciously overeat, you know, whether it be the <clears throat> size of a plate, whether it be the distance of a dinner companion or how close our cereal bowl is, or cereal box is rather. I mean, the same things that cause us to overeat, we can actually change to cause us to eat a lot less without having to go on a diet, without having to be slim by willpower, but slim, simply by becoming slim by design. Well, and you, I, the other thing that kind of blew me away, and it's sort of at what you're getting at right now, is you can make really subtle shifts. And I think in Mindless Eating, it was talking about like 100 calories, either overeating or undereating every day can make a dramatic difference. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because that was actually pretty surprising to me as well. Yeah. So typically when most people say, I'm going to lose weight. They go on a deprivation diet. They, they, if a typical person needs 2,000 calories a day, they'll cut out 600, 700, 1,000 calories a day. And if you deprive yourself of that much, there's both a physical deprivement and then also a psychological one. And as you know with most things, if you deprive yourself of anything, whether it be food or television or affection or whatever is important to you, it eventually comes back to sort of to bite you. But what, we, what we've also found is that people can eat 
up to about 20% less than what they typically eat before they really realize it. So if you don't eat, if you eat typically 2,000 calories a day and you eat 1,900, you're not going to know that anything's going on. Right. Your body's not going to feel anything. Your, your mind's not going to feel like it's deprived. In fact, you can probably go down as far as about 1,600 calories before you really start saying, wait a minute, something's not right. And so that is the key to mindlessly eating a lot less, staying within that what's called the mindless margin. Right. Okay. Staying within that margin. Because if you do that, you can eat a little bit less without even knowing it. And um, you're not going to lose 20 pounds by – next Tuesday, but what you can end up losing is, oh, you know, roughly two to three pounds a month without without thinking about it. Right. Which adds up to a lot over the course of the year. And I think maybe it was insulin by design. You were talking about most people have what it was like 15 or 16 pounds before they felt like, you know, they're not morbidly obese. Most people, it's like that 10 to 15 pound range that everyone wants to lose, which you can very easily accomplish in a year. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's surprising to a lot of people too. So that that's in, in my, my newest book, Slow My Design, I kind of lead off that. You know, and I say that a lot of people say, oh my God, what do we do about the obesity crisis? And you know, then they show these pictures of like really, really Leviathan sized people in Walmart or something. <laughs> and, and in reality, what we, what we find is that when we taught, we've pulled over uh, 1500 women and said, how much weight would you need to lose to be happy with your weight? And people weren't saying 1,500 pounds. No, they're saying things like, you know, on average, over 80% of the people said if they lost less than 15 pounds, they'd be happy with their weight. And that's really easily doable. It doesn't take a deprivation diet. Right. Well, I want to jump into some of this stuff because some of the suggestions that you provided, okay, first of all, I've already implemented my own household. So thank you very much. Um, but some of them are super easy and, you know, um, again, we're coming into the thick of the eating season, which is the holidays. There's temptations mm-hmm. everywhere. So let's talk a little bit about some of the tips that you have when it comes to socializing. And let's first talk about doing that outside of your home. Cause I, there's a whole separate conversation about what to do in your home, but give, give right. me a couple of things that people can do when it comes to being out and eating. If you're out, are you talking Parties and receptions. I'm talking, talking about parties and receptions. Yeah, let's go there. You're going to one pretty soon here, so you're going to be implementing your own techniques in just a moment. I am in, in an hour and 14 minutes. Yeah, that's right. Well, one of the things that, that happens that causes most of people to get tripped up during the holiday season when they're at the uh, parties or at receptions, things like this, is two things. There's tremendous variety, so you feel like you have to try everything. And the second thing is, we end up forgetting how much we've actually taken. Right. So I don't think what I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm not going to call it a tip, but I'm going to call it a tool because in some ways tips are the sort of things you kind of go, Hey, that's a kind of cool idea. Should do it sometime, but I ain't right. Tools. If you see something as a tool, you, whether it be the life hacks for working moms or whatever, if you look at them as tools, not tips, you say, you know, this is something that it ain't going to work if I don't use it. Right. No tool works itself. Right, right. And so, you know, one tool is to use what I call the Slim by Design half plate method. And the half plate method means that when you end up going to any sort of party, um, you can put whatever you want to um, on your plate, but it can only be two things. Okay. So initially you might go and you say, well, there's incredible 
smorgasbord spread of, of goodies for this reception. Well, you take any two things you want to, but take the two things you want the most and pile as much of you want as a plate. If you want, like, almond bark and Swedish meatballs, great. Take all the almond bark you want and all the Swedish meatballs you want. Finish it, and you go back for what other two, what other, other two items you might want. And one thing that we find is that this decreases how much people report eating by about a third. Because you first pick the things you really, really like, and after you eat those, you, know, you go back for seconds. Well, now you've got your third and fourth favorite item on the smorgasbord, and you're like, yeah, okay. I already had my best stuff, but okay, I'll take this. What we find is people end up going back a lot less, and they sample a lot fewer foods when they do this. That's interesting because, because you would think that's the opposite when you say, you know, do you save your favorite for last or what have you. So that's interesting. You're saying just go for it and two things on your plate, favorite one, two, and then if you want more, come back. Yeah, and the thing is what we don't realize as humans is that, you know, we, we're reasonable governors of what we should and should not be eating. So most of what we're going to do when we – put the first two things on our on our plate, it's not going to be the almond bark and the chocolate. It's probably going to be some sort of a carbohydrate or, or large protein. It's not going to be two desserts. Well, you never know. It, it is the <laughs> yes. holidays. It is the holidays. Talk a little bit about things like plate size because that is pretty fascinating as well. Yeah. So one of the things that we've, we've done is that we've done a lot of studies that show that if you're serving on a, on a 12-inch plate, for instance, you'll serve a certain amount – but if you serve on a slightly smaller plate, say a 10-inch plate, which is just a little bit smaller, people end up serving about 22% less on a slightly smaller plate. And what happens is that three or four ounces on a 10-inch plate, yeah, that looks like it, it fills the plate. That's pretty good. The same three or four ounces on a larger plate doesn't even look like an appetizer. Right. So what do you do? You put on oh, another – yeah, yeah. But the, the danger here is – you don't want to go too small. You don't want to go much below nine and a half, nine inches. Because once you do that, you know you're fooling yourself. Oh, that's interesting. Because I was going to say, so I should get like a little saucer from under the cup and use that <laughs> as my plate. But no, right? Okay, so no. no. Gonna, but if I have gonna, a choice between the salad plate and the entree plate, I should go salad plate is what you're saying. You should use the salad plate as long as it's uh, nine inches or above. Okay, got it. Got it. Um Talk a little bit about, this is one of the things that I implemented after I read your first book. Talk about glass sizes. And I know sometimes you don't always have an option. Uh-oh. We're going to get examples of glass sizes. I can feel it. <laughs> oh, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> well, what happens is that um, we, we pour, not only does the, the volume of a glass, determine how much we pour. But it's also the shape of a glass. So one of the things we found is that people have a tremendous tendency to overpour into wide glasses, short wide glasses compared to tall skinny glasses. And what happens is that when people pour, nobody looks at the width. You just kind of look at how far it is up kind of off the table, so to speak. And so people end up pouring, even professional bartenders pour 30% more alcohol in a short wide glasses than tall skinny ones. And this is, I mean, this is a very easy thing to do in general because you just simply if you want to be tall and skinny you want to be skinny <laughs> use tall skinny glasses yeah and we find the same thing even happens for for wine glasses and that if we find that a typical person will pour 12 percent less wine into a white wine glass than a red wine glass that holds the same volume oh that's interesting 
Yeah, because what happens? You're pouring, and um, it's that, really that, amazing how much wine you can put into a red wine glass. Quite frankly, oh, it's, it's crazy. You know, one of my one of the people in my lab gave me a glass the other, uh, I think, last year for Christmas that held an entire bottle. I saw that. I saw that <laughs> this year, and I was like, that would be. I can think of people that would be a good gift for. That's hilarious. All right. Well, I want to switch the conversation a little bit because I know you're pressed for time and I want to get to some of these things, but let's talk about mindless eating around the home, whether it's the holidays or not, because there's so many things that you, you literally went into people's homes and kind of observed them to figure out what thin people do in their homes that people that are heavier did not. So can you talk about a couple of those things? Cause they're so easy to implement most of them. Um, and there are some things that were dramatically different in different households. Well, one thing we did, we wanted to figure out what is it that skinny people do that heavy people don't do? And we, we went to about 230 households um, up in Syracuse, New York, and we took photographs of everything in their kitchen, everything in their pantry, what, what their kitchen looked like, the size of things, and we weighed them. And one of the things we found is that you can pretty much predict roughly somebody's weight without even having seen them just by looking at their kitchen. Wow. And uh, for instance, we found that if somebody has potato chips or cookies sitting out, either of those, they're going to weigh on average about 10 pounds more than their neighbor who doesn't. Um, If they have (laughs) breakfast cereal sitting out, they're going to weigh 21 pounds more than their neighbor. Even if it's healthy breakfast cereal, just any breakfast cereal. Yeah, because what happens, and, and you say, well, I can't imagine breakfast cereal would be worse to have sitting out than cookies and potato chips. Well, it's because we don't think that it's bad to eat or that it's unhealthy or that's even caloric. That's what has that effect. We walk by and we kind of go, look, golden grains or whatever. Yeah. I just happen to like golden grains. Look, golden grains, it's good for me because it's got nutrients, it's got vitamins, it's fortified. think I'll have a handful. Right. And they okay, so... So things on the counter, potato chips, cookies, cereal, heavier by far, by a lot. Yeah, but some of the healthier stuff, I mean, if you have candy on the counter, you're going to weigh two pounds more than your neighbor. Because the thing is, we all know candy's not good for us. Right. So we're we're a little bit more vigilant, but it's the stuff that we kind of go, oh, oh, that's harmless breakfast cereal. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, but the good thing is just, there's you if you end up having a fruit bowl sitting out, you weigh about eight pounds less than your neighbor. If you have, and then we've found all sorts of other cool things too. That you have, if you have a cluttered counter, okay, what happens? You're going to eat forty four percent more than your neighbor who doesn't. <gasps> oh, I'm in trouble. I didn't read that part in the book, Brian. That oh, was that, not. <laughs> yeah, that what that's in chapter two of uh, of Slim by Design. Yeah, yeah. You know, and the thing is. Oh. It's, it's, it's crazy. What it, but the thing, the, the easy thing that happens is that I can talk about these things. And right now, probably in our, in our brief 20 minute conversation, we've probably talked about 10 different things, but people can, can kind of go, yeah, uh-huh. Good idea. Yeah. Okay. Small bite. Yeah. Uh-huh. uh-huh. But if you don't implement them, if you don't use them as tools, they're not going to work. And I find that the, 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 the best sort of little, you know, come to the Lord moment, you know, isn't when somebody says to themselves, Maybe I should implement these, but when they see actually how bad they're doing relative to others, not right. how you can do this. If you go to the website slimbydesign.org, there's a there's a, a scorecard. It's a home scorecard. It tells you if you fill it out it's ten points, zero to ten, 
that tells you whether your home is making you slim by design or whether it's making you heavy by design. And simple 10, 10 easy things, and if you do all of them, your home's making you slim by design. But I very seldom find, find people who do all 10. Most people will get about a three to a four on this. Well, like for example, going back to the fruit bowl. So we have a fruit bowl in our kitchen, but after I read Slim by Design, I realized, I think the statistic was that it has to be within two feet of a commonly tread walkway, right? So yeah. ours is not. Ours is not. So it is now because I bought a new fruit basket and I put it in sort of a weird place because my kitchen is set up in a strange way. But guess what? It's now half gone and I just filled it yesterday. So okay. Right? Good. Right? Good. Yeah. Yeah. But, so know, we, we have ours. We have, we have one in the kitchen where everybody walks. I have another one right next to the keys, you know, because they hang the keys up. I can go. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Even so it's just the well-trafficked, just well, I'm, I'm going to put it in the bathroom or something, right? Yeah. yeah that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's, and you push, like I, I have one at work um, right next to my door at work and I fill it up every Monday. And do people actually take it? Well, they probably take it because they feel like they have to because they work for you, right? <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> I, I, well, I leave the candy for them. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up your own home because I know that you have three kids that are, you know, elementary, middle school aged. Um, so maybe you could talk a little bit about, uh, yeah, there's one right there. Maybe you could talk about what you do in your home outside of fruit baskets that you feel works particularly well for your family. Because, of, of course, every family is different. Yeah, I mean, the thing about this is that anytime we discover something's working, we take it right in the home right away. So once once we found out that people are pouring 30% less you know, tall skinny glasses and short white glasses, within two days, I'd gotten rid of all the glasses, short white glasses in the house. Yep, yep. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a number of things that work really, really well. And I think with, with if you take a look at kids, for instance, if you want to, your kids eat healthier, we don't, we don't want our kids to eat the vegetables and stuff. What do we typically do? We have the vegetables, we have the salad, we have the pasta, we have the chicken. It's all on the table together. And then we kind of go, why, why, why are you taking the pasta, the chicken, and not the veggies and the salad? Right. Well, why would we expect them to? We, we end up finding that if you as a parent, if you end up bringing out the salad and the vegetables first, you dish them up and eat until they're gone, and then you bring out the other things, kids are kind of going, well, this appears to be all I can see right now. And they, they, they're much more likely to eat both salad and vegetables if they're served first while they're still hungry rather than when they're set in front of them like, here's an option of four things. Choose what you right. want. It's a real easy way to convert kids to um, eating better. Another thing we end up finding in, is that um, when, when we make our own lunch to take to work, we tend to make much healthier lunches than when, when we actually go to work and buy lunch. The converse is true with our kids. When we make their lunch, we make a much less healthy lunch than they get if they were to eat school lunch. Because what we tend to do is we, we spoil them. We want them to be happy. We want them to open up their lunch and go, Mommy, I love you so much. <laughs> so we end up putting a lot more stuff in there that we probably wouldn't we wouldn't give ourselves, certainly. That's and interesting. Much less balance than we give. So there's a well, whole lot more that people can learn at the website slimbydesign.org. And the, the book Slim by Design, it just came out and my magnum opus and uh, if, if you read it and love it let me know and let me know what works for you 
It is a fabulous book. I absolutely recommend it. And I will definitely put a link to that in the show notes. Um, Dr. Wansink, I know that you have to go. Thank you so, so much for your time. This is fantastic. We do recommend you check out the book. Go to the website, slimbydesign.org. We will also put um, Dr. Wansink's Twitter handle because he is active on Twitter. Do find him there. And there's so much more in this book from how to design things like grocery stores and things like your school lunchroom and your work break room. I there's it is endless resource. So please, please check it out. It's fantastic. Um, thanks so much for being with us today, Dr. Wansink. Really, really appreciate it. It's been fantastic. And if you are interested in learning more about the Life Hacks podcast, do check us out at LH the number four WM.com as well as Stitcher Smart Radio and iTunes. And thanks so, so much for joining us for this episode of Life Hacks for Working Moms. We'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.